Vistaza Pod, new year, new life. We have so much to talk about. Um, I think we'll just get right to it. It's Vistaza Pod. The biggest news of this year so far is that Zed Star 7, seven songs, an entire album, is now available on iTunes. It is now available on Spotify. And we'll continue to roll out onto every single streaming platform imaginable. This uh, is pretty monumental. Um, I stand by this album. I think it's fantastic. Brendan did a ton of mixing and fixing and tweaking on the album. Uh, It was very hard to distill a year's worth of work into what we kind of consider to be a sampler. But I think the... The songs we chose are good. I think they flow really well together. And uh, I might be psychotic, but I'm listening to it nonstop. So I would thank you very much to go and uh, stream it. Or if you're feeling uh, like you want to spend some money, $6.93 gets you the entire album on iTunes. And uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, All of these songs were recorded live and improvised. I I don't think there's a single song there that is a second take, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And I think that's pretty significant. I I listened to it, and I don't think I would have pegged those songs for having been sort of uh, come up with on the spot in the heat of the moment. But um, that is kind of the illusion of Zed Star 7, and I think it works. I'm pretty pleased with it. And uh, I hope you all will be as well. I I know listening on SoundCloud is not always convenient. Um, The app is not great. And having it on iTunes and having it on Spotify definitely uh, erases a lot of the headache of just wanting to listen to it on the go and maybe download it, not have to have an internet connection, things like that. Oh, wait, I do stand corrected. Uh, Track 2, Lemon Party Square Dance. Uh, the, The name of which was a suggestion from... PK Mates during a live stream. We built an entire song off of that chat comment. Um, that version that's on this album is a live version we played at Dogwood on Halloween of last year. Um, so that one actually we is not a sort of improvised on the spot, although a lot of the lyrics and the breaks and everything else are in fact improvised. There's not really a set way to do any of these songs. Um, those who have seen us live more than once can probably attest to that. We kind of make this shit up as we go along. But in any case, Zed Star 7, seven songs available widely now. Uh, It is kind of scary to put something out there. I mean, SoundCloud is, uh, I guess, a public forum, but, you know, it's relatively small. Putting something on Patreon to people that are my friends or fans or customers, not really that big of a leap of faith, but um, putting it up on iTunes, putting it up on Spotify, uh... Yeah, I get why artists don't share more of their work, because it is kind of a terrifying proposition. But it's out there. I stand by it. I'm proud of it. Hopefully, we will be releasing many, many more uh, albums. Maybe we'll do a cassette tape run of this in the near future. Uh, But thank you, guys. I know there's three or four of you listening to this that enjoy Star 7. And uh, I see you. You are valid. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Um... With that out of the way, the next big thing we got to talk about is the Kickstarter 
for the Jagged Age expansion to Card Slicers. Now, by the time you're listening to this, the Kickstarter may very well be over. It ends on this Saturday. Uh, In any case, where it stands right now at the time of recording, we have far exceeded the original goal and uh, also plowed through the first stretch goal. And, you know, I got to say, please just punch. Um, Anytime I can just hit the the sort of maximum uh, goal, or or sorry, the minimum goal, uh, is great. And it's pretty fantastic. The goal of $5,000 is indicative of uh, both the production cost and also the amount of money I already put into the project up to this point. So I'm kind of breaking even with this campaign at the level it's at now. But a lot of projects don't break even. A lot of projects lose money for people. So pretty happy to do that. Uh, I do think I'll probably wait and do a post-mortem on the campaign once it's finally closed and we have total numbers. But I can say that um, organic discovery on Kickstarter itself has really dropped off a cliff. Um, in previous campaigns, this is our it's my fifth one, I believe. Uh, we would get a lot of new names, new customers, new stuff like that, and that was largely served up by the search traffic of Kickstarter. Um, that seems to have completely fallen off a cliff here. It's all names that I know, which is great, uh, but it does make using Kickstarter a bit redundant. I'm sort of giving them 10 to 15% of the earnings uh, just to serve this up to people that are already my customers and already on a mailing list. So it doesn't make a ton of sense. I think for future Jagged Age uh, expansions or even future crowdfunding, I'm really going to have to look very hard at the numbers and likely we'll go back to just privately crowdfunding on my own website in which I get to keep uh, a bigger portion of the money that's raised and thusly get to apply more of that money to... The project itself, which I think is always better instead of giving money to third parties that uh, are even sort of helping you with discoverability. So we will see. In any case, thank you everybody for the support. I think this is uh, easily a win for us and uh, we will continue onward. Regarding timing, the campaign uh, says we are going to deliver goods in December of 2023. Uh, it's not going to be that long. Now that we're getting towards the end game, I kind of know what my production numbers need to be. And uh, a lot of the formatting work is already done. So it's a matter of sort of putting together any bonus unlocks and then solidifying our numbers and uh, pressing play on production. So I think likely this is going to be a late spring release. Um, The new playmat is done. It looks fantastic. Nobby Wood really knocked it out of the park. Um, So I feel pretty good about this. We're going to, you know, bring it to a close this Saturday. Hopefully we uh, earn some more money that can be put towards some more interesting bonuses and unlocks. And then we will move on to the next project, which is I do not know at this point. Uh, I did get some good news. It does look like My big shipment that was really scheduled for the end of last year uh, is going to leave, touch wood, Hong Kong prior to Chinese New Year. Again, Chinese New Year is a pretty crucial part of the production timeline. You never quite know what the staff is going to come back in what form. 
infected or not, uh, if people are going to be slow to get back to work or they're going to hop to it. Um, it does look like the goods are going to leave within the next couple days, which means uh, it has left the factory prior to Chinese New Year close down. And uh, that does mean I can go with my original plan for action figure of the Millennia Club for January and February. And uh, I think that's great. I'm very excited. I've given Kenneth West a heads up. He is to start filming his short film uh, very soon, sending him some samples. And um, this is going to be very interesting. We're kicking off a new year. I'm excited about it. I also started today building and making some of the 13th figure. People that signed up in December for a full year got to take advantage of that. So that will be going out as well. I think likely all of this is going to leave probably first week of February. And uh, super excited about that. I'm going to keep the Patreon closed uh, with the exception of the $5 tier for the foreseeable future. Again, I do not know sort of what shape the factory is going to be in after Chinese New Year. And there are still quite a bit of production pipeline question marks for the rest of this year. So I'm going to keep things very small, very tight, very controlled, and uh, try to serve up to my diehard fans, the people that have stood by this project forever, um, the absolute best figures we've ever done. And I, I do stand by that for January and February. I think people are going to lose their fucking minds when they get this this box. I think it's... Uh, I... I don't want to say any, anything other than I have carried this figure around with me since it landed, and um, it's uh, it's probably one of my favorites of all time. So looking forward to sharing that with you folks very soon. I would also say uh, you can expect probably two sales in the near future. We're going to have a uh, sort of mid-January sale, and then we're going to have an end-of-January sale. There's going to be new figures and those will dovetail nicely into the fulfillment for the January and February 2023 club figures. So keep your eye out for that. I've sort of been sitting on some real heaters uh, throughout the last half of last year. I wanted to release them, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen with January and February, so I sat on them for a while, and uh, I think the time is finally here. I am also going to be doing some bundle deals which will essentially get you a, it's going to be a two for one, kind of. Uh, you're going to get a new painted figure and also a older material style figure. Uh, I got to clear out a lot of room. There's a ton of product that's going to start arriving. Not to mention Goss is somewhere in the future. And when he arrives, that is going to be a massive footprint I'm going to have to deal with. So um, I'm uh, making plans. I think you all will benefit greatly from this. And I do also have to launch the new 2023 uh, member store. I'm writing a note right here. Member store. I have some stuff from last year left over. Uh, I have some deep discounts. It's going to be a cool sort of secret store for everybody. I do have to get that underway and get that back up there. There's a couple stragglers that I want people to uh, find a home for. So... Keep your eyes peeled for that as well. What else do I have to talk about? We talked about Jagged Age, talked about upcoming sales, talked about Zed Star 7, 7 songs, now on Spotify and iTunes. I think that puts us in good shape 
Let us move to questions and answers. We have a super secret Discord. What is a Discord? A Discord is like a modern day message board. It's quite fun. It's a good place for our community. We share customs. We do trades there. People put up uh, figures they have on sale. It's generally a pretty great place to waste a few hours throughout the day. Uh, to access it, you have to be a Patreon member. So go to patreon.com slash I'm telling you this because our first two questions are coming from this top secret Discord. The first of those questions comes from Skywalking73. Okay, I'm sorry in advance for this question. Hob. Hob was sitting on my shelf the other day, and I was kind of sideways facing another figure. When I looked at him, I was like, what? Was Hob's head molded after the top of male sex organs? Totally looks like something, someone stuck eyes on it. If so, that is hilarious, and that would make him a dickhead. If not, I still can't unsee it. But no one asked this before. Um, I mean, this is more of an indictment of you, my friend, than, than Hob. <laughs> um, I have heard almost every iteration of this. A lot of people think Hob is shaped like a butt plug. Um, I, you know, I don't have a, a ton of uh, familiarity with the different shapes and sizes of butt plugs, but I will take those people's words for it. Um, no, I, I, unfortunately, there's no in, intended innuendo with Hob. Uh, the design comes directly from Natalie Kormoto. Uh She is a very pure soul. I don't want to think of her <laughs> in that regard. So, uh, no, I, I'm sorry. I think people are projecting in this case. There is a lot of uh, baked-in, subversive perversion in most of my work. Hob is one instance where that is not uh, baked in. Next question from the Robot Assassin. With the Jagged Age Kickstarter soon coming to a close, a few backers have picked up the Night of the Slice characters, uh, the sort of design level tier. What are the, essentially he's asking, what are the limitations to that? Uh, it is a conversation. I will reach out to those people that selected that tier after the campaign. Generally speaking, I only do designer cards of already pre-existing Night of the Slice characters. There are some legalities in doing a card of somebody else's character utilizing Knight of the Slice pieces, as you can imagine. As I'm, uh, you know, far into the process of registering this this trademark, um, that is something that can kind of obscure the lines of ownership. It's, it's unfortunate, but it is how the law is written. So, uh, generally, you want to pick a character from the past that hasn't been done already, and uh, as Robot Assassin points out here, what if a character is going to be in a future assortment? You know, I, I don't think, I wouldn't say come to the equation with all these questions and possibilities and scenarios. I would say have three or four characters you'd really like to see as a card. Uh, I will start a dialogue with you. Let me know what those three or four are. And I will pick one and maybe an alternate that would be a good fit based on what other designers have picked what is slated for future cards, and what generally I sort of want to focus on. So hopefully those tips can help people. Uh, and uh, I would just say, you know, have alternate ideas in mind and pick something from the canonical characters that already exist. Now on to our Patreon questions. Jonathan Ortiz. The MoFo slash Harbor Noir expansion set is excellent. I'm excited for the clear armor cards and the new gameplay elements you have in store for card slicers. 
My question is, what are the pros and cons to developing a card game versus action figures? Well, right off the top, we should acknowledge that there is already a brand new Card Slicers expansion. It is in the store. It is ready to ship. It is the Harbor Noir expansion set, and it features the most toys and the mofo characters. So this is a deck of gangsters, brand new artifact cards, weapons, reversals, all sorts of interesting dynamics that you can add to your card slicer game and you don't have to wait for a kickstarted end it is already available so we uh we have the core set in stock we have the mofos expansion and then sometime this year we will have the jagged age as well so card slicers is quickly becoming a pretty intense and big game as far as the pros and cons of developing a card game versus an action figure game uh i gotta tell you there's a hell of a lot more pros to card games than to developing action figures. I think the biggest one is the requirements of capital and the ability to do the card game in the domestic United States. So as a brief primer to those who don't know the process, to make a action figure, you're going to need uh, tens of thousands of dollars and you're gonna need about a year's lead time, possibly 18 months. And then at the end of that 12 years, that's uh, 12 months to 18 months, you will have an action figure that you can then sell and on the market. So you've brought an idea into physical being through that process of, you know, let's say 20 grand and 18 months of your life. Uh, comparatively, if I wake up in the morning and I have a card slicer idea, I can do the art, I can format it, I can send it off to the printer, and probably in about a week's time, I have brought into physical being this idea that I had. Now, for me personally, it's much more gratifying to hold a action figure in my hand that I've created than a, a simple piece of paper, but it does a lot of the time scratch that creative itch to put something new out there, to, to give a new character a face, to introduce a new storyline or a new mechanic to a world. Um, Card Slicers is a very quick and easy way to do that. Uh, I spoke also about the ability to print cards in the US. This is becoming more and more crucial as there's further squeezing to the supply chain. Um, you know, I, really, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of like a cakewalk compared to making toys. Making toys is a lot of headaches, it's a lot of troubleshooting, it's a lot of delays, it requires a ton of money, but it is ultimately incredibly rewarding and what I think for this period of my life I'm put on this planet to do. Uh, Cards is sort of a nice little vacation from that. It's a way to uh, very quickly get an idea out to the masses. So um, they're they're both very equal, very valid parts of my business and my creative pursuit. Uh, luckily, I don't have to choose between between doing one or the other. And I do think both of them are going to coexist for you know probably as long as I'm on this planet. So. Um, for those that have embraced card slicers and they like it and it's a fun sort of uh, expansion to the world of Knights of the Slice, I thank you. For those who haven't taken the dip in yet, uh, I think it's uh, it's worth doing. I think it adds another dimension, another texture to collecting. As people get more and more unhappy with the hobby of collecting, I think it's important to, to figure out what is the value that this pursuit is giving you. and. When it comes to just sort of pre-ordering a HasLab toy and a year later you get it and you're excited for a day, you take photos and then you're just waiting for the next toy to arrive, to arrive that's kind of a fleeting experience. It, it doesn't leave much of an impact. And 
maybe that's all some people want and you know no judgment being passed there but if you appreciate things that go a little bit deeper that sort of activate different centers of your brain whether it's musically or the collecting itch or something you read or a game you play with other people um I tend to have built this experience around what I like to have in a fandom. You know, I like a multi-textural experience. I, I like to listen to stuff that reminds me of things, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I, when it's uh, after Thanksgiving, I like to watch all the Lord of the Rings movies. So, hell, I'll throw on that Enya song. That's a banger. And, uh, you know, I'll go about cooking my turkey. It's all part of this... Uh, this idea of having more than just a single stimuli. And uh, maybe that doesn't work for everybody, but that does work for me, and that's why Z-Star 7 is an important part of this project. That's why Card Slicers is an important part of this project. That's why live streaming is an important part of this project. That's why Toy Pizza Con is so crucial. I'm trying to do something that just fires people's brains on many different levels. And uh, hopefully, we're achieving a little bit of that. Next up from Gordon McKinnon Hall, what kind of build is your Bloodborne character? Also, I saw you were playing Blasphemous. That's another great dark fantasy game. Uh, Yes, I I really like Blasphemous. Uh, I do think Blasphemous has been pushed aside for me because Axiom Verge 2 is out. And I've been playing that, and I think it is, hands down, a, a better game. Blasphemous is really quite gorgeous, and I love pixel art. Uh, Axiom 2 really hooks you with some very, very interesting mechanics I had not seen in a game. And, uh, you know, for the first time in a long time, I find myself thinking about a game when I'm not playing it and wishing I could be back playing it. I, I think since maybe Mega Man 2 when I was a kid, I didn't feel such quite a strong urge. But I highly recommend that. I I did actually work with the Axiom Verge crew many years ago during their first title. Uh, It was not really a fulfilling experience for either of us, I would say. But I do respect uh, Thomas Happ as a game maker. And uh, I really would highly recommend that. More to the question at hand. um, You know, I'm a bit rusty on the sort of builds for Bloodborne. I, I believe the class is Military Veteran. And largely, I play most of these games as a hybrid strength-based uh, um, sort of stats. I, I tend to max out strength and then kind of supplement that with arcane or sorcery or things like that. Uh, I rely heavily on the Tonitris. I think that's a fantastic weapon. And uh, largely do the Josh Guerra method of just simply closing my eyes and running to the next bonfire and then working my way back through a stage because it is quite a terrifying game. But thank you again, Gordon, for sending me the game so I have a physical copy rather than the um, sort of streaming-only version, which I don't even think I could access anymore. Moving along to Charlie Pope, are the pink, yellow, blue versions of Hob all canon appearances of him between green and red, or are they separate characters, or what-if stories? Um, So Hob has not revealed to me whether or not he has the ability to change color, although I deeply suspect he does. So I consider those to be canonical, even if they have never appeared in any of the ancillary media, if that makes sense. Um, As for the future of Hob, 
who can say. Next up from Sean Gordon, what are the chances of seeing a Z Star 7 action figure set 100%? Looking forward to it with the following accessories, Z Star 7 pendant, hat, guitar, laser rifle. Um, I think that more people need to listen to Z Star 7 in order, in order to justify making a, a proper set of uh, Z Star 7 figures. I would say also, uh, we need accessories for them, right? We need some keyboards, we need some mics. Uh, all that takes time and money and is a project for greater minds than myself. Uh, I would put this as something I would like to see one day, but I think Z Star 7 itself needs more listeners. And you can help with that by going to Spotify, or going to iTunes, and checking out the album Seven Songs by Z Star 7. Next up for Matt Connolly, happy 2023. When you were a kid, what did you think the year 2023 would be like? Uh, happy New Year to you, my friend. Um, I mean, I guess like Demolition Man, <laughs> some, some level of futuristic things I, I thought would have happened. Um, the best we can do is, uh, I don't know if you, you saw this Intercept article. It's, uh, Ken Klippenstein, very good reporter. Um, hours after <laughs> Elon Musk, uh, mentioned on Thanksgiving or did a press release that, uh, Tesla's were completely self-driving now, uh, there were reports of, uh, pretty horrendous car crashes. And, uh, thanks to Ken Klippenstein and his attorney using FOIA requests, they actually have footage now of these car crashes. Um, that, that is the future we've actually inherited. I thought it would be something much more glorious, uh, much more neon colored and involve flying cars rather than just crashing cars. Very apropos, we got another question from Dylan Wheelock, fantastic artist, by the way, who has contributed heavily to Knights of the Slice and Card Slicers. What type of character do you play in Elden Ring? Now, this I can answer with a, a bit more certainty, as I'm much more familiar with the Elden Ring universe than I am with Bloodborne. Uh, I, again, I do a kind of hybrid strength build. Um, I max out strength pretty early, and then I supplement that with sorcery. Sorcery, you know, especially the rock throw. Is that the name of the... This, I don't know. Gravity magic and rock slide, I think it's called, is incredibly overpowered and incredibly versatile. And with the right sort of buffs, uh, goes incredibly far. So I, I tend to use strength weapons. Um, no, that's not entirely true, actually. I'm going to talk about my main weapon in a, in a second. But um, I tend to use weapons that hit very hard and come close to one-shotting, and then I supplement that with a good staff that uh, allows me to do sorcery, and I will endlessly and shamelessly cheese every single boss I can. I have no problem doing that. Um, that is my absolute strategy for all Soulsborne games. Uh, the main weapon I picked up and I have not been able to put down and has been the only weapon I've used throughout Elden Ring, largely, is the Death Poker. Um, there's a really good YouTuber named Yimfa. It is Y-M-F-A-H. I follow him on Patreon as well, and he does insane game-breaking runs of Soulsborne games and, and other titles as well. But he pointed out pretty early in Elden Ring's release that you could get a weapon called the Death Poker, which you can only get 
by fighting a boss that comes out at nighttime in Kaelid. And if you max it out, it, it does ungodly damage. It does frost, it does the uh, dark damage, if that's what it's called, and it also hits like a mule. It is a, a really, really powerful weapon. And so I've only used that, and I gotta tell you, it, it can lay waste to bosses pretty easily. So, um, you know, the game is broken in many respects, but uh, damn, I love that death poker. Final question comes from Lance Tomimoto. He wants to know about what specific fantasy influences I've had when it comes to the Jacket Age. And um, I'm going to say in, in many regards, I have embarked on the impossible task of avoiding standard fantasy influence when it comes to Jacket Age. I've tried to make it uh, just something unique. And I think it's extremely hard to do in such a tight genre as fantasy. I think um, you're always going to run into the same tropes, the same character motifs, the same archetypes. It is a, a very limited world to play in, in many respects. But the more time I spent pondering about fantasy and high fantasy and dark fantasy and all these these uh, sort of sub-genres of this main uh, route we're going down, um, I, I basically was able to sort of Draw a line in the sand between a shift in aesthetics. And let me explain what I mean. I think from Tolkien up until probably the late 90s, you have the visual language of fantasy really just being people doing poor imitations of Frank Fazetta, right? The Julie Bells of the world, not to call out Julie Bell, but you, you get what I mean. Everything that was sort of represented in the genre was just trying to imitate Frank Fazetta, who is incredibly difficult to imitate because he is a once-in-a-generational genius type. But you actually get a new language, visually, that starts to develop in the mid to late 90s. And that is the language of JRPGs. And I, I point specifically to an artist like Yoshitako Amano, who's, let's face it, his influence is so enormous and all-encompassing. I will never outrun how his work influences my work. It, it is deep on a a very subconscious level. Uh, I will always be doing a poor imitation of Yoshitako Amano, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, I sort of point to, personally, Final Fantasy III and the artwork attached to that and the, the beautiful way that world was created as a schism point where we had a an industry of Japanese artists reinterpreting fantasy and the sort of western tropes of the genre in a brand new way. And that brings us to where I think the Jagged Age is today in its aesthetics, in that it is largely shaped and formed by people like me who were there in the 80s and 90s to be blown away by the artwork attached to very basic 8-bit and 16-bit games. Um, you know, obviously we have to call out Gobbly Prin, who really gave a visual language to this chapter of Jagged Age in, in a way that I never could. And he is no doubt a disciple of the same influences. Same with Renosa, you know, a Japanese artist himself, who uh, clearly is influenced 
and sort of grew up around the same types of inputs. I think in many ways I had to sort of mentally sever myself from the genre I love so much in order to attempt to create something a little different and a little new. And I don't know that I uh, have been successful in that regard, but I am proud of the work that's been put out there. I was stumped on Jagged Age for a very long time, for a number of years. I didn't know where to go beyond that first comic book that Natalie and I did. And there were many false starts. Uh, Gavin Mackey and myself did a treatment that was okay, but uh, just never sort of gained traction. And, uh, you know, it really took these other fantastic artists interpreting the characters with their little details and their little design choices that really helped me see the path in front of me. And I think where we stand today, now I don't know if everybody's read the sort of uh, little backstory piece I did on Patreon about the setting of Jagged Age, but we find ourselves in this era that is not unlike a late medieval era, but because of vector distortions, there are artifacts that start to show up and start to change the world in very dramatic ways, including very futuristic artifacts. And I think that is an incredibly lush playground in which to expand the story of the Jagged Age. And, um, you know, I hope I can achieve something that's a little bit different. I, I don't know at the end of the day if it's going to land that way, but uh, in my mind, I feel super lucky to have worked with the collaborators I have worked with, and uh, I am super excited to get this deck out there and potentially continue the story beyond just the card slicers. I don't know what form that's going to take, but I think we have the hook now, and I know how I want that to play out. So um, the many-year <laughs> sort of writer's block attached to this has been cleared, and what happens next is, is going to be exciting. One final note before I sign off for today, there was a poll on the Patreon asking, should we offer Action Figure of the Millennia Clubs to the public? And an overwhelming majority said, yes, we should. But there was a lot of interesting conversation on this thread, and, you know, I think people made good points. For me, um, the club has to strike a balance that maybe is not too apparent to people on the outside. But I absolutely want to make club members and patrons feel like they're in on something very cool that not everybody is in on. And hopefully the value is there. I think in 2023, I'm really going to prove that being a club matter, a club member matters in a big way. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to be punitive to people that are outside the club. Not everybody can throw away $5 a month on a Patreon. And I understand that for sure. I've been in that position in my life many times. So, you know, there is a, a fine line to sort of walk here. You don't want to be too exclusive and too too much of a snob and sort of, you know, like I said, be punitive to people that are on the outside here. Uh, because ultimately, I think that does affect your ability to grow the, the sort of alpha customer audience, if you want to use marketing terms. It's also worth noting, while... Uh, folks did vote to allow public sales of the club figures. Not every club figure is going to be in the position where it can be a public sale. Uh, there are extras for our $5 level patrons who might, you know, pick and choose what month they jump towards. But um, 
inventory, as I've been saying for probably seven months now, is going to be much more limited this year. It's going to be much more of a special event. So um, hopefully people are in the positions they want to be in. Uh, as I said earlier, it does appear like I'm going to have my first choice of the January-February figures, not have a backup choice, which is great. And uh, the goods are on their way here as I speak. So fingers crossed they arrive. Uh, very excited to roll out this first uh, set of figures. Also, worth mentioning, I just completed constructing all of the 13th figures. So if you signed up in December and you prepaid for an entire year, uh, your bonus figure is ready. I think this is amazing. I think it's a great way to kick off the year, and this will be included with everybody's January, February uh, figure crates. So super excited about that. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything. Go listen to ZStar7 on Spotify or buy the album on iTunes if you have a spare $6.93. And also, please go back Jagged Age on Kickstarter. By the time you listen to this, it might be too late. So run and go and pledge, and let's get some more of those unlockable stretch goals. I'm Jesse Stasio. Pizza out.